All right, welcome back. There were five questions uh, this morning when I left the house, so that's what's going to get answered. If you guys had submitted a question while I was teaching the lesson, <laughs> Tim will get to answer it. So uh, good luck with that. First question, please explain Second Samuel 6, verses 6 and 7, regarding Uzzah touching the ark to steady it. And why would God be so angered by it that he would kill Uzzah? That just doesn't seem to be the kind of God you're portraying. And how do you reconcile these kind of verses in the, verses in the Bible? So, let's back up a little bit. When you guys want to submit a question, I would suggest, suggest the first thing you do is go to our, our website and our search box and search a subject involved with the question. Because there's a good chance that it's already been answered. Either in pre-existing questions and answers, or Tim's probably written a blog on it. And it turns out, Tim wrote a blog on the showbread and Uzza. So search Uzza, U-Z-Z-A-H, uh, and the ARC, uh, or just search Uzza, and the, these, uh, these links will come up. I included these links in the notes, so if the notes get posted, um, or if it's in the, the record, it, you'll find it. Uh, so, and it's, I, I do want to, I do want to answer a little bit, um, Scripture is silent on Uzzah's motivation. We don't know if Uzzah had a genuine regard to keep the ark from falling on the ground and being dishonored. We don't know if he wanted to secure favor with David uh, and just, I, I, I got it, I, I'm, I'm handling it, put me in your government. We don't know Uzzah's motivation, we don't know his heart. Only God knows his heart. Secondly, Uzzah was not killed. Uzzah was put to sleep. He was put in a temporary sleep state. And he will be resurrected with the same character that he went to sleep with. If that's a character of love, he'll be resurrected when Christ comes again. If it's a character of selfishness, he'll be resurrected when Christ comes back a third time. Also, understand uh, whose behavior changed after Uzzah was killed? David's. David's behavior changed. Why? He, he realized he was doing something wrong. He had not treated the ark with the rules and according to the... With the reverence that it was... That's correct. Why was the ark missing in the first place? They took it to war when they shouldn't have. Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's two sons, took it to war as a talisman. Well, God won't. God hasn't really agreed to let us go to battle with the Philistines, but we're going to take the ark. Uh, they'll they'll be terrified of the ark. The ark, the ark will will go before us, and we'll get the victory. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll show God. We'll just take His ark, and and then he'll be he'll have to some he'll have to smite the Philistine dogs. That's why the ark was missing in the first place is because the Israelites viewed it as some simple talisman. And the Philistines viewed it as a talisman as well because, because they eventually said, we don't, we don't want this thing in here. Is that, the, is that when the ark, when they put it next to Dagon's statue and statue had, had toppled over and they straightened the statue back up and the second time it, it, it crumpled? Uh, yeah. So the Philistines didn't want the thing around either. They, they, they viewed it as some mystical 
um, talisman, kind of like face masks, and um, didn't want it around. So in the original um, instructions on how to read, the, uh, on how to move the ark, and I would encourage you to go back to Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, somewhere there, wherever it talks about the, the instructions to move the ark. Who was supposed to move the ark? The Levites. And only a certain group of Levites had the, had the privilege of, of moving the ark. How did they move the ark? The ark had three rings on either side, and you put a pole through it, and you lifted the pole. You never touched the ark. Not even the Levites touched the ark. And after Uzzah was put to sleep, King David came to senses, and he went back and started reading some of these old texts. He said, oh, my dear, I've, I've messed up. I hope I didn't cost Uzzah his life. And subsequent moving of the ark back to Jerusalem was done in accordance with, with the way it should have been handled. And this is all an object lesson to teach, to teach the children of Israel who just come out of slavery and had a, a very, uh, had a very damaged moral compass. They were probably functioning at level one, maybe a level two, um, mor- um, morality function. So I don't think that Uzzah was killed by God. Uzzah was put to sleep in order to teach King David and the rest of the nation of Israel an object lesson. Okay? And we don't know, just like people are drowned in the flood, we do not know their eternal well-being. It's not, our, it's not up to us to decide it. He was taken off stage. He was removed from the stage. <laughs> anyway, Tim's, wrote, Tim's written a blog on it, and, and it's also in a previous questions and answers. So search Uzza in the search box. Check it out. Second question. Good day. I was having a discussion with someone about tithing, and he said, quote, that the tithing system is done away with, I only return a free will offering. And that is what the disciples practiced after Jesus left was return a free will offering. What would you say to that person? I would say, let everyone be convinced in their own mind. And turns out, Tim's written a blog on tithing. <laughs> Go to the search box and, and, and put tithe. He's written an excellent blog on tithing. T- tithing is what? By, defin- by scriptural definition, what is tithe? Of? Your increase. It's 10% of your increase. That is by definition of a tithe. So if you give 20% of your increase, what have you done? Double tithe. No. You've paid tithe of 10%, and the 10% is a free will offering, or a sin offering, or church budget offering. 10% is the tithe. By definition, anything above and beyond that is an offering. Okay? In fact, and, and I think, yeah, anyway, commonreason.com slash tithing. Check it out. Question number three. I wonder about the, quote, fairness of our understanding about sin never rising again. How is it fair to the lost if, had they been born slash created after Satan's rebellion, they would not have been lost? Uh, I'm a little lost there, (laughs) speaking of lost. Does it make more sense to say that those who are created after the second coming, 
assuming there will be post-second coming creations, will have a choice. And some may choose not to join the kingdom of God and will simply be allowed to die or be uncreated. Go to our website and search our document, our magazine, The Heavenly Sanctuary. This is, uh, this is where I would begin first to answer your question. And there are many assumptions with your question, and even though you addressed the biggest one about whether or not there will be, the humans will be creating or recreating after the second coming. My personal opinion is that we won't. The, if we do, however, if, for example, humans are, do retain the ability to procreate and bring forth beings in our own image. Our genetic sinful nature, our DNA code, will be rewritten. It will be rewritten as it was in Eden. It will be written perfectly. We will still retain our individuality, our own psyche, but our, our sinful nature will be eradicated. Not only that, there will no longer be any tempter. There will no longer be an accuser, tempter, tempting us toward evil. That's, okay? So, if, we, if humans don't retain the ability to procreate, and if God decides to create new intelligent life and beings, what's our job going to be? Tell them what happened. Our job is going to be to relate the history of rebellion and how sin, how sin destroyed our lives on, on earth, how it shortened our lives on earth, how it, how it resulted in some of our loved ones not being here with us, and how God's grace and forgiveness and love and, and saved us, how Jesus secured the healing remedy. That's going to be our testimony throughout the, the remainder of Eternity, eternity future. We, we will retain full, un, unclouded knowledge and memory of how destructive and damaging sin was. And if new beings are created, and I, I don't know, God, God creates. He may create new intelligences. And we may, we may be given the, uh, the privilege of telling them the history of, of Lucifer's fall, our fall, and our restoration. Don't know. Um, all right. Fourth question. To what does Paul refer in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty nine? those who are baptized for the dead? Uh, if these things are not so, what will those... And this is a... Sorry, this is a quote from 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty nine. Those who are baptized for the dead, if these things are not so, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? So Paul, Paul is speaking to Corinthians, and he, he references uh, why, why do people, why, if Christ is not raised, why do people baptize for the dead? The entire subject of, of 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection of the dead. Okay, and Paul begins with the resurrection of Christ. If Christ is not raised, then what hope do we have? 
Okay? And I suspect, I don't know this for sure, but I suspect that some of Paul's listeners, Paul's readers, were actually baptizing people for the dead. I suspect some of the Jews were doing this as well. This is still done today. The Mormons baptize and pray for the dead. It's one of the reasons why they have such great genealogies. Because they pray for those who have already passed away. I suspect it was a prevailing superstition at the time, but, but Paul was simply using his example to awaken his readers to a larger reality. If Christ wasn't raised for the dead, humanity has no hope. He's saying, why bother if there's no resurrection in the first place? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. I mean, that's a direct quote from a later chapter. Um, the ba- and baptism, again, I would, I would encourage you to read, uh, to search baptism in the search box. Turns out Tim's written a blog on that. Is it necessary or not? So check that out. All right, last question. To what does Paul refer in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, where he speaks, he speaks about the third heaven? He's talking about, I know a man, he's talking to a third person about himself. I know a man who was taken to the third heaven and, and saw things that I can't speak of. Um, I, I, I know that this man was caught up, whether in the body or not, I do not know, but God knows, and he went up to paradise. I think this is a means of, of conveying um, that Paul was actually taken into heaven. The word heaven has multiple meanings. The heavens can refer to the sky, the atmosphere, clouds. It can refer to outer space. You, at nighttime, I gaze up in the heavens, the sun, moon, the stars. Uh, I look at the galaxies. That's the second heaven. Third heaven can refer to where God actually lives. So I... I I think that's simply what Paul was referring to, is the third heaven where, where the, the dwelling of, of the divine is. Take it for what it's worth. All right, good. Thank you all so much for your participation. Have a great week.